Hello, and welcome to... This is not... A history... Lecture. Lecture. Woohoo. Yeah. Okay. So, today is a very big day. Yes, it is. Because we are recording episode number 10. And we have a special guest in our studio... Cat's uh, apartment. Studio apartment. Uh, it's not a studio apartment. It has a there, There's a door and a wall. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but my friend Tiffany is in from Houston, and I have dragged her to do this um she will be sitting awkwardly in the corner it's nice usually i just i don't have any like reason to look halfway decent yeah i chose not to change out of my work clothes you look very nice thank you i was running around with children and goats all day i'll show you the pictures and goats and rabbits it was a um peter rabbit themed day so like goats and rabbits that sounds so fun and it's such a nice day outside today beautiful the the trees in front of the house are huge i was just sitting in this that's so nice so nice oh i'm jealous yeah yeah, um, what I've done today is do notes for this and watch a few movies. But That's they fair. were good movies, so. But worth it. But I should have probably been outside for a little bit of it. But it's fine. Who needs it? But yeah, so, yeah, episode 10, big deal. Also, 200 downloads. We hit 200 downloads last night, which is super Crazy. cool. And we really appreciate everyone involved in helping us hit 200 downloads. Yes, That's we do. really fun and really cool. And we know we have some, like, actual listeners somewhere out there i know we what is it washington we have that one recurring yeah i think we have one in washington Washington, thank you to our washington comrade yes (laughs) and and i think we have another one in new orleans so that that's like really cool and um i am stalking your locations on the podcast (laughs) management apps or podcast management app uh because i'm nosy <laughs> i mean uh, we have the ability we have to so, know the demographic yeah, we, we are do. catering to we do it's part of our marketing plan guys oh my god Ew. i okay. hate cat just <laughs> tweeting once a week <laughs> we are official marketers um yeah so in the spirit of you know shouting or like being grateful for mm-hmm. where we are at i wanted to make a few shout outs one is to my mom hi mom She's going to appreciate that. She will give me a phone call when she hears this. Uh, Another is to my aunt. uh, Hi, Aunt Crystal. Thank you for telling all your friends on Facebook about our first episode. Thank you. (laughs) Um, And another is to my friend Emma. Hi, Emma. I know that you will text me if I don't shout you out. Thank you for being supportive from day one. I really appreciate that. And another to our friend Joy who has, yes. we have just recently told, but she's already caught up, which is so impressive. I know. She listened to like the whole way home for her Easter yeah. break. She was like, I listened. She turned around to me. Oh, you weren't there in class. No. She was, Guess what? I finished Mishap on the Mountains. And oh my gosh. I was like, ah. <laughs> thank you, Josh. Thank me you a, so like, much. And she handed me a list of other people that she oh, thought that's we might so be interested cool. in. And I was like, she's like, I don't have a Twitter. So like, but yeah. Thank you, yeah. Joy. Yeah, so we really appreciate everyone because um, I know that I talk too much. And if I wasn't able to talk to people about this, I probably would not have kept doing it. Well, I would like to shout out my family. Kat has a very special shout out for her family. Eventually, someday, when you figure this out... This is my shout out to you because they currently still don't know. There is a piece of paper on my fridge that um, has a tally of... The amount of times how I many times you've mentioned it in a it? conversation, and they still don't know. And I think that's so fun. Off. Yeah, it cut off last week when we were talking about it. I think the recording did a little weird glitch, but yeah, sorry um, about that. I was sitting with my dad over Easter weekend, and um, 
We're talking about documentaries and movies we want to watch together because my dad and I have a very similar taste in that stuff and no one else, well, I don't want to say no one, but usually in my family, people don't want to watch like nitty gritty political dramas. (laughs) My dad and I fight over them. So like, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, that documentary that you told me about, The Food That Built America, I recommend that to everyone. I even recommend it on my podcast. My dad says nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. Plows ahead. Oh my God. Drinks his peppermint. Uh, Trader Joe's tea. <laughs> <laughs> How much more explicit can you get without I, sitting them down and saying, "Mother and father, I am coming out to you as a podcaster." I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> like, how much more? Like, I don't know. I uh, yeah, maybe they just always like figured cat. Oh I yeah, mean, cat has a podcast. That makes sense. That would make sense. They would be like surprised, <laughs> but I feel like they're going to be surprised with how far we get into the episodes before they figure it out. When I'm like, we're on episode like 738, and they'll just, what? Oh my god, can you imagine doing 738? We're gonna be like 94. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. Well, I think we should get down to it because we have a lot of stuff to cover today. Yes, our Twitter, our Twitter, I almost said. Our Twitter, yeah, let's say it up front so we won't forget. Uh, to say, oh yeah, on our oh, Twitter, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I thought you were gonna plug the Twitter. I mean, do we can yeah, Twitter. do follow our Twitter at T I N A H L podcast. Yes, do that because but because Cat tweeted out. Yeah, I tried to get what we hints. were covering today. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I just tweeted a picture of JFK and Lincoln. Which, to be fair, that wasn't super. Yeah. I mean, okay, it's assassinations. Congrats, guys. You're yeah. Gonna... Today, for our 10th episode, we are covering 10 American assassinations. Yeah. So, the assassinations of 10 people We were going to go with, like, the 10 overall biggest or, like, most influential, but then we realized that that is a list so big that so big. we could not let's narrow it. let's let's lower our criteria yeah. here so we went for american <laughs> also because yes. so sorry we were taught american eurocentric and yeah we know american history but someday we'll be getting around to i mean i'm definitely doing franz ferdinand you're definitely doing julius caesar oh like, for sure for sure yeah. yeah, so never fear, more assassinations in the future. But yes. for today, we've just selected 10 that we thought were important or influential or just cool. Yeah, or just, well, I mean. Not cool. Oh, gosh. Well, no. one of mine is kind of cool because he was a jerk. Oh, really? Yeah. I'm excited now. Well, uh, one would call them a punk-ass Nazi. Oh, but, <laughs> love that. And by one, I mean me. <laughs> but yeah, yeah yes. so today's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and we're looking forward to it. And I think Kat's going to start us off. Okay, well. I would be remiss if we didn't start off with one of the most influential people in American history. We're going to talk about MLK Jr. first. Yes. Yeah. Um, Wait, the 95 Thesis guy? Because <laughs> you're Lutheran, Lutheran, right? Would have, like, <laughs> I'm sorry. Father, I had to. No, my father has dressed up as Luther for Halloween multiple times. Multiple times. He still has it in his closet. Oh, it's like a costume that he just reuses. That's awesome. Yes, it is. Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, He's one of those civil rights figures that I really do wonder genuinely what he would have been able to accomplish if he'd lived longer. Because I low-key dropped it at work the other day. I was like, hey, guys, what do you think? Who do you think was like the more influential assassination, like JFK or Lincoln or something like that? And they're like, well, Lincoln had accomplished most of what I think he would have. Yeah, that's and true. And I was like, that's true. Some people, they get assassinated. Yeah, he's and you president. Wonder, Where do you go after that? Yeah, like, yeah. How, how much higher can you go? But I really think MLK would have been able to do so much more yeah. if he hadn't been assassinated. So, we're going to, I'm going to give you, a, in my sections at least, I'm going to give you a quick recap on their lives and then discuss 
the motivations and everything and why it happened. Because I try to choose people with different motivations for their assassinations. Yeah. I think it's, there's such a wide variety that we can touch yeah. on. But, okay, MLK was born, and he will get his own episode. Don't fret. This is yeah, not my Yeah, most one of these done. people will get their own episode. So if the information seems shallow or brief, fear not. Yeah. Um, We're coming back for them. Yeah, we will. Most of these people. I have a few that don't really need their own episode. Kind of but mean, it's fun to yeah. talk about them. Yeah. Yeah. So... MLK was born January 15th, 1929, um, and it was originally Michael, not Martin. Uh, he came from a long line of pastors. He started it started with his grandpa, who served in an Atlanta church, and that his father was the pastor. And MLK Jr. was co-pastor in, in uh, 1960 until he was murdered. He was always smart. He graduated from a segregated Georgia school at 15, um, like his grandpa and father, he got a degree from Morehouse College in Atlanta. He went to Pennsylvania as a theological seminary, the Graduate School of Boston University, received his doctoral degree in 1955. While he was there, he met and married Coretta Scott, who is incredibly talented, and she she deserves her own episode. I, I can't Yeah, I don't know much detail. about her. That would be really cool. She's so, so cool. Yeah. Um, but they ended up having four kids, two girls and two boys. He was a pastor at his own church in 1954 in Montgomery, Alabama. He was, of course, always interested in basic human rights, which are include racial yes. equality and everything. Yeah. Most people should be. Everyone should be. He, yes. But he grew up in yes. segregated schools and like was still very much part of a generation that experienced that. Um, and he eventually became a member of the Executive Committee on National... For the oh my gosh National Association for the Advancement for Colored People, and he fought for more than just racial equality in the basic ways that you might think. He advocated for you know because that includes labor rights, yeah. and mm-hmm. um, you don't think necessarily like labor labor, labor reform rights. goes with yeah, it, yeah, with but the it does. civil rights, yeah, yeah, um, not oh, being discriminated does. at work and everything. So like yeah. he, he focused on yeah. those individual small pieces, not just the overall mm-hmm. advancement. Um, and he practiced civil disobedience. He always relayed that back to his Christian beliefs. And um, actually, Mahatma Gandhi, he consistently talked about how he admired the nonviolence and that kind of side of things for Mahatma Makes Gandhi. Makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And he plays a huge role in the 1955 Montgomery bus boycott. He leads it, and he... He dealt with so much hate in his life that it's really ridiculous. I mean, he was harassed, threatened. His house was bombed. He was arrested, attacked. Like, you name it. This poor guy had to deal with it. Um, And in 1957, he becomes the president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference. Oh, I got that one out way easier than I tried to Yeah, you did. That's a hard one. (laughs) Yeah. That should be a tongue twister. And he travels far and wide to speak on these issues of racial inequality. They promoted nonviolent protests, and they... To make the most impact with nonviolent protests, they'd try to make pointed choices about where they would have these. Pro- it's kind of like the Woolworths, like the lunch counter and stuff. Like yeah. you, you choose places that are visible. And that was my stomach growling. Yeah, I heard sorry. that. Oh no. <laughs> um, but <laughs> don't look Continue, at me. <laughs> Literally, don't look at me. Um. Anyway, but racist segregationalists would confront them and things would turn violent because you know 
racists like to get violent. <laughs> and it also is really easy to smear people if you incite violence during their peaceful protests. So, yep. We've seen that lately. Anyway, and <laughs> it's not just racist, like openly racist segregationists. It's also overt attempts from the government, the FBI, J. Edgar Hoover. They would promote King and his groups as these racist, or sorry, not racist, radical, violent yeah, extremists. Yeah, of course, they're all, vi- they're all radicals, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, the government actively targeted him and threatened him. Mo- like, sent a letter to him, apparently, which I did not know. <laughs> did you know that? I feel like I... I don't know about if I knew about the letter, but I feel like I might have known something about the like, government thing. They sent him like an anonymous letter or something. And they were anonymous. Like, Man, it was a trip. <laughs> this time period would have been so fascinating to live So during. fascinating. There's like so many of mine. I think three of mine come from this time period, so. Yeah. Um, but like Stacey Abrams in this last election, he realizes that a lot of a lot of um, people aren't registered to vote and don't have easy access to it, so he makes that a big part of what he's doing. He's writing. He's arrested countless times, and during one of these stints, he writes the famous letter from Birmingham Jail. He's best known for his March on Washington, which he helped direct, but um, he prominently delivers the I Have a Dream speech on the steps of Lincoln Memorial. Mm-hmm. He wins the Nobel Prize at 35 in 1964, was the youngest to do so, and he donates all of the winnings from it to the Civil Rights Movement. He becomes a Man of the Year in 1963 for Time Magazine. He gets five honorary honorary degrees on top of his doctorate already. Uh, He's a world-famous speaker and figure, and he posthumously receives the Presidential Presidential Medal of Freedom in 1977. Nice. So he's... He genuinely is one of the most decorated people from this movement and deserves Uh to be. And he never really, he never stopped working for this. And it's sad Mm -hmm. that in 1968, he's in Memphis, Tennessee to help with the protests for sanitation workers in the area. And on April 4th, he's on the balcony of a motel when he's assassinated by James Earl Ray. Mm. Um, Oh my God. Okay. Quick pause. The first time my U.S. history teacher taught us that, he accidentally said James Earl Jones. Oh, no! <laughs> anyway, continue. That's really unfortunate. I know. That's really, really unfortunate. He, like, caught it, but it was so funny. That's really, really bad. Yeah. Um, James Earl Jones, Darth Vader, did not... Did not kill. Kill um, Martin Luther Jr. Anyway. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, and... If we're going to talk about... It's not hard to imagine what the motivation behind it is. They caught Ray two weeks... Roughly two weeks later, I think, in an airport mm-hmm. trying to get to Zimbabwe, which was a haven for... Um, I think back then it would have been, what, Rhodesia? I'm not sure. Uh, Geography is not my strong suit. I know. I struggled in my African history class a little bit. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> um, but, yeah. I think that used to be Rhodesia. Anyways, it's like a haven for white supremacists. And Awesome. I mean... I think we could talk all day about racially motivated extremism, but assassinations and hate crimes. I mean, I would dare to say that all hate crime, that like all assassinations are in some way a hate crime, but not all hate crimes are assassinations. Like if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. But because I talk about one later that was motivated by LGBTQ issues and this one, it's like, it's a racial thing, but 
assassinations are classified by political. Yes. But this is very much one of those things where it's it's an overlap. And yeah. 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 I talked about a few that aren't necessarily racially motivated, but they're definitely political mo- political motivations. Then I talk about one that's neither, but I thought it would be fun to include. I mean, yeah, you got to have some <laughs> yeah. spice in there. But yeah, I, I really genuinely th- wonder what would have happened if, like, how much further things would have gone or, or what he would have done. I mean, I'm not saying yeah. that the, the movement couldn't go on without him because it very much did. And it's still in progress to this day. We're, mm-hmm. we're experiencing a whole new wave of the civil rights movement right now. Yeah. But... I also wonder too, like, did did the unification or the response to his assassination cause things that wouldn't have happened yes. otherwise too? I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. yeah, and that's something that's been thought of is like, you know, if he was a martyr, yeah, and would people have rallied around something if he wasn't mm-hmm. the one to rally around? But yeah, cool. So I'm going to be doing JFK, which is fitting. Um, he's my first one because he's my longest one. So Jonathan Fitzgerald Kennedy was born May 29th, 1917 in Brookline, Massachusetts. He is the second of nine siblings. His father was a multimillionaire with business dealings in shipping, bootlegging, banking, and the film industry. And his mother was the daughter of a former mayor of Boston. As we know, the Kennedys are quite an American family. Yes, Jackie O. <laughs> yes. Um, after Harvard, JFK joined the Navy, Navy in the fall of 1941. He was sent to the South Pacific in 1943, and unfortunately, his older brother Joe was killed in the war. Um, his older brother, brother Joe was supposed to be the political one of the family, and in fact, his father or their father said that they, he would he suspected that he would be the first one to run for office because I think it was just kind of expected of them. Mm. But after his je- after his death, John JFK. Uh, who was planning at the time on pursuing a career in academia or journalism was kind of past the political expectations of the family. And he was really great at it. He never lost an election. Um, Mm. He was first elected to Congress when he was 29. He served for three terms in Congress. Um, And by Congress, I mean the House of Representatives. My bad. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then he served in Congress again, (laughs) this time in the Senate. And uh, he won that race in 1952 in 1953, he married Jackie, and they made quite the political couple, with her family also having a lot of connections, mm-hmm. and they were just kind of... And a great fashion sense. And a great fashion sense, yes. <laughs> I love all, every single outfit she ever wore. Oh, she's iconic. Um, and then, so, he unofficially started his presidential campaign in 1956, when he kind of started testing the waters to see mm-hmm. how popular he would be. And then in 1960, he formally announced his presidential campaign. And a big element of his campaign was he had to actively fight against the stigma of Catholics because, as we know, he was the first Catholic president. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he narrowly won the election against Nixon in 1960. And a big uh, thing that probably got him the victory was that uh, it was really the first like popular television debates. Mm-hmm. And as you know, JFK is a looker. Nixon oh, yes. is not so much a looker. Nixon looks like you would expect him to. Richard Nixon looks like Richard Nixon. <laughs> yes. And the thing is, is that both of them were really skilled with what they were saying and how they were saying There's it. There's a lot of people who think that if it had been radio-based, that Nixon, Nixon would have won. won the whole presidential election. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the problem, okay, to be fair, also, we don't want to discredit someone because your, your affect and your looks do not... D- they do not 
mean that you're not yeah. uh, like qualified. Yes. Your, your yes. Your thoughts. But it, it However, is a very interesting sudden yes. curve for Nixon not to have a re-election yes. after his first four years, which was a standard still at this time. Like it was expected yeah. almost. Um. So, <laughs> yeah. So Kennedy, as we know, is very much a looker. He's very confident. He's very suave on TV. He has a lot of these speaking skills. Nixon, however, is very kind of clumsy awkward kind of sweaty mm-hmm. <laughs> yep and so that just like even though they were kind of were neck and neck on their actual abilities or kennedy kind of like took the cake on that one and people said that if you're listening on the radio nixon won and or if you're watching mm-hmm. tv kennedy won and he was the youngest president in and the first catholic president as i mentioned and during his presidency he but brought the U.S. out of a recession with a series of economic reforms. He established the Peace Corps. He navigated the U.S. through the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, of course, we know that he worked towards the civil rights movement um, for people of color in America and was involved in that. And a lot of his work would become essential to crafting the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which was signed into, a bill, or signed into law by Lyndon B. Johnson, his vice president, who was sworn in. I have a story afterwards. By the <laughs> a way, story. Like, later, just remind me to tell you about the NRA. The NRA. Yeah, not what you think. Okay. <laughs> it, it didn't always stand and, for National Rifle Association. Yeah. So, and uh, I'm excited to hear that. So he also signed in the Equal Pay Act of 1963. You know, it would be real great if we could actually make that a... <laughs> an amendment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It would be really great. It would be great if we could just um, yeah equal rights act in what's, general. What's her to... name? What's her name? Who? The woman. The one who made it didn't not happen. Oh, I don't know. Screw her. Screw her. Equal rights act. I mean, the equal it, rights. It, the ERA. Equal, yeah. What's her name? I the like. Know. I don't like thinking about it. If you know who we're talking about, you know why we're yeah. Upset. But no, every time <laughs> someone says something about equal pay act or equal rights act, I'm just. Mm. Yes. She would be a fun episode because we hate her so much. But yeah, anyway. Wait, it's not. Oh, Phyllis Schlafly. Phyllis Schlafly. That's oh, who I was talking my about. I thought was, you were talking about someone more modern than no. that. No. Phyllis Schlafly. The... Yeah. <laughs> Go watch Miss America. It's really interesting, guys. Kate Blanchett kills it, and I hate her. Oh, For yeah. being so good. I, would, I did want to see that. Okay. Good. Anyway. Yes. So, on November 21st, 1963, JFK and Jackie Kennedy undertook a two-day five-city fundraising trip in Texas. On the first day of the trip, JFK and his wife visited Houston, San Antonio, and stayed in Fort Worth for the night. Um, it's a pretty big curve, too. Like, that's you know really, Texas, that's, a, that's a lot of cities for two days. Um, and it's not like they're all next to each other. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, they're kind of next to each other by Texas standards, but like... Yeah, not by anyone else's standards. No. <laughs> <laughs> so they, on the morning of the 22nd, they departed from Dallas Left Field, uh, and they boarded into a con- customized convertible. And in this car, they there was JFK, Jackie, and then Governor John Connolly and his wife. And they all boarded this convertible to drive into Dallas for JFK to deliver a speech in Dallas. An estimated uh, 200,000 people lined the motorcade route. As the motorcade turned southwest on Elm Street and began traveling through Dealey Plaza on the edge of downtown Dallas, JFK was shot at 12.30 p.m. This is a quote from the Encyclopedia Britannical article because uh, they do a better job than I can on this stuff. So this gets a little bit graphic. So a bullet pierced 
the base of his neck of the base of the neck of the president exited through his throat and then likely passed through governor Connolly's shoulder and wrist ultimately hitting his thigh another bullet struck kennedy in the back of his head so that's the end of that quote um <laughs> as soon as they kind of realized what happened the chase for the killer began Bullet, bullet casings were found near the window, and a rifle was found elsewhere on the sixth floor of the Texas School Book Despo- Depository Building. Which is now a museum. You which is now a museum. Dallas. Yes. <laughs> I was like, I feel weird doing a Dallas thing, because Kat's from Dallas, and I'm not. <laughs> I've been there. It's, yeah, I've never even been to the I've museum. I've been on the plaza. There's a huge... Yeah, I bet there is. There's, like, huge... Like, the memorial... Yeah. It's yeah. cool. Go to... If you're ever in Dallas, it's worth a stop. Yeah. Um, so an investigation of the building's employees revealed that two were missing. One who was stopped outside, who, who stepped outside to watch the motorcade and was not allowed back in by police for whatever reason. And the other was Lee Harvey Oswald. Oswald had been employed in the building for about a month before the assassination. And they pretty much knew it was him. (laughs) Um, And so... Uh, almost immediately, um, an officer of the Dallas police force kind of confronted him, confronted him at his boarding house, and Oswald actually killed him in front of a lot of witnesses, and then really? fled in, yeah, fled in through, fled into a theater, where he was eventually apprehended by police at 1:50 p.m. So the shooting happened at 12:30. He was in custody by 1:50. So this was not a two-week process where they yeah. were looking for him. So it was very fast. Um, also what happened very fast was, uh, vice president Lyndon B. Johnson feared mm-hmm. that this was a spart- start of a plot of some sort of like, cause you know, it was the cold war in yeah. the sixties, like a couple years after the Cuban missile crisis. Like, yeah, this is like, they're like, oh no, what's happening now? Like, yeah. this is, <laughs> yeah, we are going to fall apart. Attempt, so yeah. Lyndon B. Johnson got sworn in uh, pretty much as fast as they could. They he were was on the plane, right? He, they were on the plane. They had not taken off, but they were on the plane. At 12.38 p.m. and aboard on the plane with him was JFK's body and at his side while he was sworn in was Jackie still wearing the jacket, still wearing the clothes of her, like with her husband's clothes or with her husband's blood on them. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a pretty clear cut reason why this happened too. Oswald was a extremist communist and was loyal to America's enemies at the time. So he assassinated the president and, uh, one thing worthy of note was Oswald of himself was killed. So two nights after uh, JFK was assassinated on November 24th, Oswald was being moved from Dally City Hall to the county jail, an event that was broadcast live on TV when a man named Jack Ruby approached and killed him on live TV um, as they were kind of putting him in the transport vehicle. And Ruby claimed that he killed Oswald to spare Jackie from having to testify at Oswald's trial. Mm-hmm. And that is the assassination of JFK. Speed run version. Cat, go. <laughs> oh, well, I was actually going to say the Jack Ruby thing. The yeah. fact that Jack Ruby did kill Oswald, I think, is part of the foundation of a lot of conspiracy theories. That, like, yeah. that they think, a lot of people think that Oswald would have gone to trial and actually started to blab and, like, talk about. Yeah, because what did he know? Yeah, what yeah. did he know? Who was really And as there, we know, the Kennedys are very deep. Yeah, yes, that's true. How many shooters were there? Like, because that is still. A huge debate is, yeah. was there really just one shooter? Because mm-hmm. with the rifle that Oswald was Yeah, using, the angles in the, the rifle. Angles, I've heard well, there's the, a lot of documentaries on this, y'all. Yeah. When we discuss it in depth, we can talk about this conspiracies more. But, like, yeah. some people firmly believe that the rifle Oswald was using wouldn't have been able to reload and shoot that quickly mm. twice. Yeah. And so that will be for a big episode on JFK. And what's weird <laughs> is that one was, that's all caught on video. Yeah. 
everything from Jack Ruby killing Oswald to Oswald yep. killing Kennedy, like to yeah. Jackie's reaction. It's uh-huh. on film and it's so I know weird. a lot of people have a lot to say about Jackie's reaction, which is Jackie's reaction is harrowing. Yeah. Like uh, Jackie Kennedy, I, is, wasn't there a movie with that Natalie Portman did of her Probably. a couple years ago? Yeah, I meant to watch it, but Jackie Kennedy, if nothing else that you get out of this, Jackie Kennedy is a bamf. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and I mean, no, she would be a cool episode too. Yeah, she would be. Um, yeah, but the Kennedy curse is yes. So many of the yeah. His if y'all don't know this, Kennedy's JFK's brother Robert or Bobby Kennedy also was was assassinated. assassinated. Yeah. Um and and as I said earlier, his older brother died in war. So yeah, like the, there's a firm belief, and there, like another one somewhere died in a car crash or something like that. Yeah, like, it's the Kennedy curse is. Yeah. A, a part of that whole conspiracy yes. is that all of them were involved in democratic stuff and that they yeah. were uh, mm-hmm. ideas for new socialism. And it's fascinating. We'll go into it more yes. later. Sorry to rush along. We have a lot to cover. Yeah, we uh, do. It's got turns next. Yes, it's my turn. And we're going to talk about another dead president. <laughs> go right along, Kat. Thank you. Um, this is why I don't sing and no one should ever give me a mic again. I don't know. It's kind of fun. Oh, thank you. Um. Abraham Lincoln is up next. We there were a couple other presidents on this list. I didn't do any other presidents. Did I didn't you? do any other presidents. Okay. Garfield. I feel was... like they're the big ones. Yeah, Garf- yeah. Was it Garfield. That was a star? Garfield, and I think McKinney. McKinley. McKinley. Yeah, McKinley. I think was too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Huh, look at how well we know our American history, guys. Hey, we got the big ones. We got the big names in here for we y'all. Did. So we did. Okay, so this is probably the most famous of American assassinations. He was the 16th president of the United States of America. Born February 12th, 1809, which feels a lot older than I, like, I just said it out loud and realized, like, shit. I know, JFK was born in 1917, I think, and I'm like, whoa. It's like 100 years later. Okay, that makes it feel shorter, though. Well, I think because we just know him as being young, and he's, like, eternally young. That's true. When you die young, you are ever young. Oh, that's Uh weird. Oh, wow. Yeah, Um, not to be dark. (laughs) Yeah, you'll see it again with other people in this. Yes, unfortunately. Yeah. But born poor in Indiana, he was self-taught at pretty much everything, um, schooling included, but he managed to make himself into a lawyer, um, which I feel like the lack of standardized schooling is in some ways great and awful, but we'll have that discussion <laughs> after the results from this COVID year come in, because no one is standardized testing Yeah, that's right now. true. We'll see how it is. Yeah, we'll talk y'all's ear off about that some other time. But he was a member of the Whig Party. Again, uh, someday we'll have a whole episode and we can talk about this, but... He, it, the Whig Party used to be a dominant party of the mm-hmm. American political mm-hmm. system. And oh, that would be a whole episode just explaining the evolution of American politics. Because also, we'll write that down. Yeah, that's a fascinating <laughs> one. Type that in. Um, but he served as, um, he served in legislature in Illinois for a while and then as a congressman. He was going to go back to being a lawyer. But he actually got kind of peeved about the Kansas-Nebraska Act, which added more lands in the United States to be available for slavery. Previously, Mm -hmm. they had that hard limit across the middle. And this was when he was like, uh, no, we don't want more land that's in slavery, that people can have slaves on. We don't want that. And he steps back into politics around 1854. And this time joins the new Republican Party. That again, we have would need a whole episode to go over politics, but the Republican Party that back then would be unrecognizable yes. by modern yes. standards. They were the liberal party. Yes. They were your left leaning liberal party. Yeah. So mm-hmm. uh, I can't remember what administration that switched during. Was it Johnson? LBJ. Johnson. Okay. Yes. That's so. Um, but yeah. So 
he was a member of that more liberal party, which at the time period, he was very moderate I, by even their standards. So mm-hmm. give that what you will. But Sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> He's a member of this new party, and he debates Stephen Douglas in 1858, and he does really, really well. And eventually, he's like, yeah, okay, yeah, and gets the presidency in 1860, okay. And this is in large part because the North votes for him. Because while you will, you will not find a historian, especially an American historian, who does not have a very set idea of what happened during the Civil War, yes. they either believe that Lincoln didn't care about slavery or was anti-slavery. And they will Mm -hmm. also tell you either that the Civil War was about states' rights or that it was about slavery. And there's a very delicate balance between all four of those things. Um, Lincoln did write about his opposition to slavery, but from my interpretation of it, from what I have learned in years of undergrad, and I, again, I took this Civil War class in a conservative Christian university, I still believe Mm -hmm. that, I believe that personally... Lincoln did care about abolishing slavery, but I don't think it was his priority. It sounds to yeah, me that's like fair. he. His I think that's a good like meet in the middle. Yeah, yeah. He he wanted to keep the union together. That's mm-hmm. his job as a president. Mm-hmm. Um, but he did. We have writings of his and speeches of his that talk about slavery and his distaste for it and how it wasn't it wasn't the right move. Mm-hmm. But most of those speeches are dominated with talks of nationalism and how America needs yes. to be unified. Yeah. So you can find the balance even in his writings. Um. Yes, so this his election alone pisses off enough people in the South that they start seceding, uh, and they're they're mad at the North. They're like, "How could you vote for uh, anti-slavery when that holds up so much of our economy yeah. and all this?" It's again whole other episode. No, our economy mm-hmm. sounds familiar again. Wow. Okay. Political. Anyway. <laughs> Don't start me, Kaylee. Um, <laughs> we, do, we don't have time. <laughs> we don't. But these new seceded Confederate states attack Fort Sumter, which, uh, Civil War, yada, yada, yada. Lincoln calls out the army just to suppress the rebellion. <laughs> no, we cannot do the Civil War right now. <laughs> but yes, Lincoln wants to restore the Union. And he probably would have done whatever he needed to keep America together. And I'm not saying he didn't care about slavery, but again, main focus was probably just the yes. Union. And. He's pretty moderate. He doesn't want to piss people off. But as we've seen, that a lack of passion or conviction, especially from political leaders, will actually set you back a bit. You don't want to be seen as a kind of middle ground mush. But sometimes that's best needed. What It's what's needed to heal a nation, especially after a divide like that. Um, but he delivers his Gettysburg address, which is what he's most famous for, I'd probably say. I don't know if that's true, but yeah, I, I think a lot iconic, of people would, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's a whole lot of stuff, war stuff, boom, boom, pow, pow, lots of people <laughs> die, more people die than ever, like, everyone's dying of dysentery, because hygiene, hygiene, <laughs> Oregon Trail, um, <laughs> but he did actively encourage border states to outlaw slavery and advocated for the 13th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution so that, um, well, ratified so that the slavery would be outlawed across all of the U.S., not just, you know, north, and... He's successfully reelected. He does all that stuff that you know about and he's famous for. And it's publicly stated that his main focus would not be for a division, but to bring the nation back together. And he's really, things are looking up. And the war officially ends on April 14th, 1865. And we all know the famous story that happens after. About five days later, yep. he goes to the Ford Theater with his wife, Mary, and John Wilkes Booth who is an actor and a Confederate spy who, I did not know this, 
There is a Confederate Secret Service. Oh. I didn't know that, but apparently John Wilkes <laughs> Booth was in cahoots with them. And okay. unlike, he w- you would not be able to do this in modern times because no. of the actual Secret Service. He, like, service. walked right up. <laughs> yeah, he literally just um, walks up to the box and shoots Kennedy, or Lincoln. Gosh, not Kennedy. Oh my god, no. <laughs> shoots Lincoln in the back of the head. There are... Martha's in the box with him, but there are two other people as well. One is Clara Harris, Clara Harris, and the other is Major Henry Rathbone, who reacts to Booth shooting Lincoln and actually tries to, like, fight him, like, struggles with him. Oh, really? Booth stabs him. Oh. Yeah. But by this time, they they take Lincoln across the street into what I... The Peterson house, if I remember correctly. I don't have it in my notes, but I think it's the Peterson house. I have no idea. Um, where he slips into a coma after eight hours, or for eight hours, um, which technically puts his death um, on April 15th, early in the morning. Gotcha. So, theater the night before, eight hours. Wow, we're coma. coming up on that anniversary. We are. Okay, guys, that was intentional. Yeah, yep. I'm claiming yeah, credit. That yeah, yeah, we did this on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it takes them two weeks to track Booth to a farm in Virginia, and he refuses to surrender, and he's shot. Um, the man who shot him actually got arrested because they were like, we told you to bring him in alive, but then they're like, oh no, it was he's a patriot. He is fine. <laughs> you know, um, he didn't, he was just mad. Um, but the Lincoln itself really makes Lincoln a martyr, and to this day, there's a lot of debate about what Lincoln really did did if he deserves to be the martyr if he deserves to be um remembered the way he does what his real motivations were but either way um this was a huge loss for a nation especially coming out of that turmoil and you feel like you're yeah you're back on your two feet and then the rug gets yanked out from yep. underneath you again and, and, and is... while there's a lot of stuff about reconstruction and stuff like lincoln yeah. probably would have handled it better than it was handled and uh, yes yeah, <laughs> i i firmly believe that he would have um but yeah this is one of those that i think when you think when you imagine political assassinations, this one's at the top of the list. This yes. was yeah. political. This yeah. is, I mean, and there's racial, you can't yeah. take racial out of the political at this point or at any point no. in history. So, yeah. but this one was a political figure. He held office, the highest office that you can in America. And so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Great job. Thank okay. You. Flip it back. Flip it back. <laughs> We're going okay. so fast. Yeah. Our- Malcolm X. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. We're going so fast. We've never done this before how, in our lives. How much time are we at? Uh, 37. Okay. I feel like we could slow down okay. a little bit. Uh, maybe. Uh, <laughs> just keep going. Okay. I feel like we're at a good pace. So okay. Malcolm X, his um, Muslim name is El Haj Malik El Shabazz. And he was born Malcolm Little on May 19th, 1925 in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, his father was a Baptist preacher who was allegedly killed in 1931 by a white supremacist group called the Black Legionnaires. Really? Though the authorities ruled it an accident. Whoa. Which... That probably doesn't sit right. Of course they did, because it was 1931. Yeah. In the words of that great history YouTube channel, I mean, come on. I don't know that one. It's the history of Japan, Kaylee. You know this one. I only know the, I'm a piece of garbage. (laughs) (laughs) How about we do? I'm so mad they stole our brand before we could claim it. (laughs) Um, So, yes, at age six, Malcolm entered a foster home due to his mother having a nervous breakdown following the death of her husband, which is Understandable. And he he himself suffered because of this. He was once a good student, but he dropped out of school after eighth grade and began wearing zoot suits, which it was the 30s, so it probably actually means something very serious back then. Um, I mean, I think it was kind of like... 
it is like the gangster, gangster like the classical yeah. ga- like classic gangster thing yeah. um and probably not a great thing for like a high schooler to be wearing but now it just kind of seems comical but yeah <laughs> um, we have to look at history through their eyes not yeah. ours and he began dealing drugs and he was sent to prison at 21 and he was charged with larceny in you jail. Also acknowledge that drugs in this time period were a whole different game because a lot of medicines were still util- utilizing some of this stuff That's in, as controlled substances. Yeah. So who knows what the heck they were doing. Yeah. Anyway. So in jail, Malcolm had his first encounters with the, uh, with Islam's and the teaching of Elijah Muhammad, the leader of the black Muslim group or the uh, nation of Islam in America. Uh, and this was a black nationalist organization who blamed uh, white people for uh, all the racial problems, which <laughs> I mean, not... you kind of can, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. I know what I go as far as to say that I would join a nationalist group to oppose that. No. no, I don't think anyone should be joining any kind of nationalist groups. <laughs> but... uh, yeah, let's all just love each other, guys. <laughs> yes, and address our privilege and position in society. That would be great. <laughs> Maybe not join nationalist organizations of any kind. Yeah. So in prison, he also rejected his slave's surname, which was Little, and he opted for the iconic Malcolm X instead. And after serving his six-year sentence, he began preaching at Mosque Number 7 in Harlem, and he was able to grow the numbers by tenfold. He was a great speaker, very charismatic, all this Mm. stuff. People really believed in him. And in fact, one of his admirers was Muhammad Ali, and they were actually good friends until they had a falling out, just like everyone else does. (laughs) It was good while it lasted. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, he was controversial to this day, as we know, because he had a very aggressive stance on the civil rights movement. And he was very much an advocate advocate for any means necessary. So by any means necessary. Whereas MLK was more of, you know, you're just wait and it will happen. I don't want to say just wait until it will and it will happen. But he wasn't willing to go to the lengths that Malcolm X, Malcolm X was. Mm-hmm. And not until at least later in his life. Yeah. Um, and as I'll talk about later, Malcolm X kind of chills down later in his yeah. life. Um, so it's interesting how they kind of did end up meeting in the middle, even though they were like all they to this day are drawn as like stark opposites to each other. They really are. And again, this is how media pits people against. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 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 We all know. We don't have to do all that. Mm. <laughs> um, these. Uh, yeah. His extreme views and teachings uh, drew him the attention of the of the FBI, who surveyed him until his death in 1963. After making some off color remarks about the assassination of JFK, the Nation of Islam actually suspended him, and he would eventually leave the organization because he claimed it was like politically corrupt. Mm. And uh, after that, he left the organization and he took a pilgrimage to Mecca, where he gained. Uh, his Muslim name. I don't know how exactly that process works. I don't know if he chose it for himself, but he received his Muslim name uh, during his pilgrimage. And on return of his pilgrimage, he founded the Organization of Afro-American Unity, which was a more mild approach that identified racism and not all white people as the root of civil rights issues. So again, as I said earlier, they're kind of, he's kind of calming down. And he was assassinated on February 21st, 1965 by a a black Muslim at a rally for this new organization, the more mild one. And that's all we kind of know. We don't really know why or who or anything. Um, I always figured there was more motivation there, but like... yeah. Maybe someone was worried about like misrep- him misrepresenting. I think that's probably what it was, worried about him misrepresenting more than anything. Um, and one thing that I wanted to leave off on was that he often remarked that he 
he thought he would be more important in death than in life. And I don't, I mean, he died so young that it's, uh, it's hard to say. Yeah. But I mean, we're still talking about him now. Yeah. So I, it would be so fascinating to be able to like go back in time, not even to like watch that, but to watch other people's reactions to it. Yeah. Because mm-hmm. I want to know genuinely, like how many people were talking about Macklin Max when he died, when he yeah. was assassinated, like how many people were it's true. really that of that opinion versus yeah. now. Cause uh-huh. like we were talking about with historiography the other week, like you literally can't know unless you were there. Yep. And even then everyone interprets it differently. Yep. Like, yep. yep, yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, now that we're getting into the shorter ones, I think we're good on time. Okay. So, yes. I was a little worried, but I think we're going to be good. <laughs> so, take yeah. your time, Kat. Okay. Well, I'm about to talk about one that is sick. And we're going to stretch the bounds a little bit on what we consider American assassinations here. I'm going to talk about John Lennon. And while he was not American like the assassin was, he was in America when it happened. And I think a lot of people consider it an I'd say that's an American assassination. Yeah. So. Okay. I, I do too. Um, but I think part of it too is that John Lennon as a figure and as a part of the Beatles and the Beatles themselves are such a worldwide phenomenon mm-hmm. that they don't, I don't really consider them belonging to one yeah. country. Like, I'm and sure he was living in America at the time, wasn't yeah. he? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I would say yes. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, either way, um, sorry if y'all don't agree with this being an American assassination. I'm doing it anyways. Um, <laughs> I'll allow it. I felt like I wanted to get a variety of yeah. different... Oh, I have assassinations. Yeah, I have so, a, a variety too. So yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page about I was that. Like, I need. We a, did not want to shove ten presidents down your throat. Yeah, that's not fun. That's absolutely not fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not. So, I don't know about y'all, but I think of him mostly as a musician. So, like, I knew he had a big hand in the whole like peace activism and anti-war yeah. protests and everything. Like, I knew he had a factor in that. Mm-hmm. But I honestly just think of like. We all live yeah. in... I don't want to get copyright. Sorry, the Beatles. <laughs> I'll credit to the Beatles. Yeah. Um, but I don't have millions of dollars to give you for that. I do the rights to that song. Either. But yeah, that's kind of what I, I think of him as the guy on all my old records. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But born on October 9th, 1940 in Liverpool. We're going to pretend that's in America. It's not. Oh my God, it's fine, Kat. Okay. Um, in 1956, he was one of the founding members of Quarrymen, which is... I mean, it's the Beatles. It, it eventually <laughs> became the Beatles. Um, uh, by 1960, they were the Beatles. So he was kind of like their ringleader and their speaker and the big face to them. But over time, a lot of that started to kind of get associated with Paul McCartney. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what band dynamics, what was, interviews might have been like really to have caused that shift. But I know he was Yeah, well, like, then there's everyone blamed it on Yoko, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um but he's always, like, John Lennon's always there kind of, like, pulling strings and doing stuff in the background. Not background. He's very, he's one of the front runners of the Beatles. Yeah. And, like, every young music scene, at least the music that's aimed towards younger people, the older people of that generation are just going to call it, like, rebellious and yeah. gross Which and hard so rock. so funny and... because, like, the Beatles. <laughs> no. I, well, it's like, I don't think of the Beatles at all as rebellious. No. Anything. It's like classic stuff like yeah it's yeah know. i i guess if i was a female teenager in 1960 and i really liked bowl cuts then i i, I probably would have been really into the beatles <laughs> yeah i mean you couldn't not be at this time yeah oh like, it's so true yeah it, it re- yeah um but it's, now i think of it as like the music my mom plays or mm-hmm. like you know the yeah. nostalgic stuff on pandora you know um but they were just kind of the new music for the age and 
and John Lennon himself was really artistic in a lot of ways that I didn't realize. He, uh, have you ever seen any of the films with the Beatles? No. Okay, so there's actually movies. Oh. Like, you can watch. They're almost like really weird, trippy music videos that were done huh. on acid. Like, nice. straight up, they're really Sounds weird. About right. I've watched them, but like, I mean, will I say it is the best use of your time? No. But like... <laughs> If was you were just intoxicated in some sort of way, oh, it are, the movies already make you feel vaguely intoxicated. Like it, it might be worth checking out. I mean, yeah. I will not be doing that. Yeah, but but he had a huge influence in that. No, that it's there. Yeah, yeah. too. Yeah, he was a writer, and apparently he drew a little bit as well. But he ended up writing a couple books that came out in the 1960s. I think mm. in the, towards the middle of the decade. But yeah, really influential in that in more than just his music. So, uh, like, war in America is such a hard topic to talk about because we go through, like, huge spurts of nationalism and then, like, anti-war protests. But I think it's fair to say that while peace activism doesn't immediately bring the Beatles to the front of my mind, there are some songs that inherently kind of promote Make love, not war. (laughs) Yes, Yes, very much. But like, if I think of the Beatles, the Beatles, I think of like, I am the walrus, and that is not Can't, an anti-war. Can't get us copyright. I'm sorry, that is the Beatles, guys. Um, <laughs> Cuckoo, cuckoo. Thank you. Yes. So, I, unless that uh, okay, hold answer. on, pause. My mother will call me if I don't mention Rocky Raccoon. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Continue. Okay. <laughs> But, like, I don't inherently see that as an anti-war protest at all. No. <laughs> um, it is a, about a walrus and the Eggman. Anyways, so. <laughs> We're going in circles. We need to move on. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Yes. Um, they kind of become a counterculture sort of thing for the youth to identify with. And we all know the famous Yoko Ono split and all, but he keeps producing music under the name John Lennon in collaboration with, I guess the official name is the Plastic Ono Band. Okay. I don't know it. I honestly didn't pay attention to anything that happened after the Beatles split up with the whole Yoko Ono thing. Like the, all the LPs yeah. I have are mm-hmm. the like original yeah. older ones. Um, I feel like most people feel the same way. Yeah. But this is where he really starts taking his career towards the anti-war and peace movements. And, he um, even holds his own, like, organizes his own anti-war demonstrations. All but right. as we know, the government around this time of the Vietnam War doesn't like people criticizing the war. No, they don't. And apparently they actually tried to deport him. Nice. Because you're the Okay, American so this is, ver- this is an American story. Like, yeah, he's from... But, like, he's involved with America. Yeah. You're fine, yeah. Kat. Yeah, okay. Um, over his career, I think it's fair to say that he had one of the biggest impacts in the music industry, but... It's quantitative and qualitative at the same time. He won so many awards, wrote so many top songs. He's in the Rock rock and Roll Hall of Fame as a member of the Beatles and as a solo artist. Um, But with all of that success, he still decides to take a step back and focus on his family. He's married. He and Yoko Ono have a whole family. But on December... I shouldn't say a whole family. You do not need children to be a whole family. And I did not mean it that way. But he... He's got those concerns, and he wants to take time yes. off to really focus on that. Um, yes. But on December of 8th of 1980, Lennon is walking into the building, into his building in Manhattan with his wife. Mm-hmm. And Mark David Chapman is a few f- yards away. He fires five shots, four of which hit Lennon, Lennon in the back. 
And mm. as far as mental health goes, I think this assassination is a little unique and different because I think that Mark David Chapman was not very healthy at that time. Yeah. Um, and I'm not, you have to, be, you have to be in some ways not mentally completely healthy. Yeah, that's to valid. assassinate yep. someone. <laughs> but others were really political, um... And, and that's the definition of assassination. But he doesn't seem to be purely politically motivated. Yes, he was upset about some of the anti-war stuff that he said. But he shoots Lennon. And Chapman just sits there and he reads Catcher in the Rye. Catcher in the Rye. J.D. Salinger. Yep. And he wanted to use it like as his manifesto. And to be fair, Catcher in the Rye is often cited as the beloved book of sociopaths. Yep. Because they identify mm-hmm. with Holden and mm-hmm. his... Which like, you're not supposed to. You should not. If you feel a connection with Holden. There's, seek, there's something... Yeah. Well, there's like... If you feel connection with someone who's lost in finding themselves, that's one thing. But if you yes. identify with Holden Caulfield, yes. like, please don't consider some other books. Read read something else. Yeah. I don't know. What else but something else. A self-help book. Yeah. <laughs> please. Um, but Chapman considered himself to be like Holden Caulfield. And oh, he was so mad at some of Lennon's remarks and about how the Beatles were just as big as Jesus or how like Mm. how powerful they were, how much sway they had. And he apparently Chapman had previously exhibited some really weird obsessive behaviors and admitted to having fantasies about killing people like Ronald Reagan. Um, But he didn't have any criminal convictions. So it's not like people were really worried about him before he did this. Yeah. Um, And I think he genuinely thought it would make a political change, which is why he considered Catcher in the Rye to be his manifesto. Mm. he, He thought it would, make a statement and it just kind of turned him into this really unhealthy obsessive and we all know how bad obsession can go and how quickly it can just go downhill but i think that was really unique because it wasn't purely about a political movement or something Mm -hmm. it was just anger over anti-war and yeah at lenin Mm because he loved the beatles like chapman talked about how much he loved the beatles and how kind of like betrayed he was yeah with Uh this stuff so I mean, yeah. it's hard not to be mad too, because I'm I'm just surprised it wasn't Yoko. Like, I feel awful saying that, but I'm I would have thought that someone would have been a diehard Beatles fan would be die more mad Beatles at Yoko fan. than they would at John Lennon. Yeah, but... and they would probably exhibited those same like obsessive. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. Well, that was really interesting. Yeah. yeah thanks. So for that's that. my American. Yes, I. It's American. Okay. I'm going to make that call. Okay. So, um, my last few kind of well, I don't know. Um, two of my next ones. Are they assassinations in the traditional sense? No. Are mm. they, like, people being killed um, for something that's kind of pseudo-political? Yes. Oh. Especially this first one. So I'm doing Tupac next. Oh. So Tupac Shakur was born on June 19th, 1971 in Harlem. And I wanted to vote from biography.com uh, because this gets a little complicated. Tupac was originally named the Seine Parish Crooks at his birth. After joining the Black Panther Party, his mother changed his first name to Tupac Amaru, a Peruvian... Sorry, this is kind of confusing, even though I'm reading from the biography (laughs) article. So his mother joined the Black Panther Party. She changed her name and both of her children's name. She named named Tupac after a Peruvian revolutionary who was killed by the Spanish named Tupac Amaru. And then Tupac later took his surname from his sister's father, Hmm. who was another Black Panther member who was named Mutulu Shakur. Shakur. 
Um, so it's a little complicated there. Basically, he draws names from several places. So it's really interesting how these people kind of like craft their own identities. And I, we see that a lot more than I would think. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like almost every different person I do, I'm like, oh, birth name this, yeah. birth name that. Um, it, it, makes, it makes me realize how many people in history really did change their names. Yeah, I know. So he was, and this was recent, this is in the 70s. Um, so he was uh, one of two children and who his mother was raising on her own. Both of his parents were members of the Black Panther Party and he grew up without his father and he actually states that he thought his father was dead for most of his life and mm. the family moved around a lot. Sometimes they even stayed in shelters. It was a very unstable childhood situation. The family eventually moved to Baltimore where Tupac was able to enroll in the very prestigious Baltimore School for the Arts. And he would later say that this was the, his time at the school was the freest he ever felt, mm. the freest he ever felt. And fun fact, he actually befriended uh, Jada Pinkett Smith oh. at the Baltimore School for the Arts. Yeah. Interesting. Um, which is very interesting. <laughs> I guess she went there too. So good for you, Jada. Um, she actually appeared in one of his music videos. So that's kind of fun. Really? Yeah. Um, so the neighborhood Tupac lived in in Baltimore was kind of rough. So the family moved to California and they didn't really end up in a better place in California. His mother, soon after their move, was began, began a crack addiction, and he began selling drugs. Oh. So mm-hmm. not a great situation. But he was able to kind of turn his life around when he was 17. He was at a park one day, and he met this older white woman, Leela Steinberg, and he convinced her to become his manager, like his music manager. She had no That's connection to the casual park. She had no connection to the to the music industry. <laughs> my guess is maybe she had some connections to like Hollywood, and he was like, "Oh, you're my way in," which like good for him. It worked wow. because she was able to eventually uh, get him in front of a real music manager, who, which would eventually lead to his first uh, studio album in 1991. Hmm. And he would release several studio albums throughout the early 90s. And as we know, as Tupac is very iconic and he is also well known for not being afraid to address important issues in his music there's a stereotype that a lot of like rap is just about you know women and drugs Mm -hmm. and like all that kind of stuff but a lot of it isn't and i think a lot of tupac's music isn't and he makes a point that it's not and there's actually a quote from him that says everything in life is not all beautiful there's lots of killing and drugs to me a perfect album talks about the hard stuff and the fun and and the fun and caring stuff. The thing that bothers me is that it seems like a lot of the sensitive stuff I write just goes unnoticed. So mm-hmm. he also wanted to write about the hard parts of life and the not hard parts of life. Mm-hmm. So I think that's, you know, and I think that's something we can appreciate now, maybe more than people in, in the nineties did. <laughs> yeah. We weren't as, um, I don't know, socially aware. Whoa. <laughs> uh, and unfortunately Tupac, uh, uh he was involved in a lot of maybe suspicious stuff. There was two things that he was involved in that was like, one of them was like not a great look at all. So in August, 1992, he was kind of confronted by a group of, I, I don't know, I guess like rabble rouser teenagers. And um, he dropped his gun and oh. he was carrying a gun. He dropped his gun. Someone picked it up and shot it and it would kill a six year old. <gasps> yes. So very upsetting. Obviously, he feels responsible. Right. Um, and he was, like, reports say that he was very upset. He wasn't charged for this, but he 
was sued by the family, which is okay, valid. Like, it's your gun. You should have kept better yeah. hold of that. It's part of the um, training for having a license. Yeah, exactly. So that was, you know, not a great situation. And then in October 1993, he actually shot and wounded two off-duty police officers in Atlanta. Ooh. However, the charges were dropped from this which I was surprised about. And then I kept writing um, and it was revealed that the cops were, or the off duty officers were both drunk and they had both initiated the incident and they had both threatened him with a stolen gun. What the hell? So the charges were dropped from, because it was self-defense and he didn't like mortally wound either of them. I think one was shot in the butt, literally. <laughs> Every cop should be wearing a body cam there. I said it. Yeah. And these were off-duty officers. Like, what are you doing with a... Who did you steal a gun from? Your cop. What? Like, what are you doing? I'm sorry? (laughs) And, of course, the media tried to, like, oh, gangster Tupac shoots two two cops. cops. Yeah. And, like, uh, honestly, I forget which website. This was probably biography.com or something. But it was, like, made a point to say that it was, like, two white cops. And, like, somehow it was, like, a racially motivated shooting on Tupac's part. But I don't think that was the case at all. Yeah. Because if, like, people were coming at me with a gun. Oh, no. Regardless. Like, <laughs> and they were drunk. Two drunk people. Yeah. Honestly, two drunk men coming yes. at me with yeah. a gun. I, uh, yeah. Of any. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It was. Yeah. <laughs> and so, of course, the media was like, oh, gangster Tupac. But it was like literally just self-defense. Anyway. So, in 1994, Tupac was shot several times in the lobby of a recording studio. And it was believed that the hit was ordered by none other than Biggie Smalls. Um, I have heard that. Yes. I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, at the time, there was this big feud between East Coast rappers and West Coast rappers. And I am very unexperienced in gang-related politics, and mm-hmm. so I'm not going to get into that because I, there's no way that I can do that justice because that's a world that I have no idea about, and I know that it's, it, there's a lot of things and a yeah. lot of factors that go into gangs, and I just don't think that I can do that justice. But just know that there was this huge feud in the 90s between East and West Coast rappers, and kind of with Tupac and Biggie were the figureheads of these movements. Mm. Um and it was this feud that would eventually lead to uh, Tupac's death. Um, so he was killed on the night of September 7th in Las Vegas. And he was in Las Vegas for a wrestling match. And I think it was actually a night- Mike Tyson wrestling match. Mm. And um, so after the match, there is a se- security camera footage of him and his entourage engaging in a, quote, violent scuffle, which is how the article puts it, with um, a man who was later identified as a to be a member of a L.A.-based blood street gang later that night tupac and the head of death row records which was his record label were in the car and they were stopped at a stoplight a white cadillac pulls up beside them and fires 12 bullets into their car jeez talk about overkill yeah um tupac was hit four times and um the record labels the head of the record labels uh was hit one time but he was just grazed on his head so not a major injury and actually, I did not know this, but um, an emergency surgery at the hospital, at the closest hospital, offered a bit of hope. And doctors actually were saying that he would make it. But he died a few days later on September 13th. Is that why everyone always jokes about, like, Tupac still being alive? Maybe. Because, like, <laughs> yeah. they make, I've heard so many jokes in, yeah. like, media about, like, between yeah. TV shows and movies, they'll be like, Tupac's, <laughs> Tupac's actually living Yeah, in no, garage. there was a whole theory like, that, yeah, like, Tupac just, he didn't die. He's just 
I mean, yeah. if you say he's going to pull through and then all of a sudden recant that, That's I true. guess it makes sense that people yeah. would be like, he's really alive. He's hiding. <laughs> yeah. That's true. Um, so Tupac is one of the best selling and most recognizable artists of all time. I think he's pretty iconic. He's sold over 75 million records and he was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 2017 by Snoop Dogg. Nice. And that's Tupac. So I would call that an assassination because there yeah. is po- political motivations there. Yeah. I have another one that's not an assassination at all, but I just thought it would be worthy of note. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. Well, mine is, um, my next one is Paul Castellano. Oh, I had no idea who this was. So I'm uh, excited to hear. He's a mob boss. Ah, that makes sense. And, and so like, I saw that Italian famous, last name. Well, it's like a famous okay. assassination that's of fun. a mob boss. Yeah. Um, so he was born on June 26th, 1915. Okay, I just want to say most of my people are born in May and June. And you have a lot of people that are born in May and June. So Maybe I don't know what May. it is about us Geminis that make people just want to kill us. <laughs> I'm a Gemini, in case anyone yeah, was wondering. <laughs> I'm a Scorpio, so what's my what's my stereotype? Uh, not great. Oh, awesome. Am I a bitch? It's okay. I like you. Am I a bitch? Am I, like, is that my stereotype? Stereotypically, yes. Well, just very passionate individuals. Oh, I am. I'm very passionate about things. I get very hyped over the ending season of Game of Thrones. So. Yeah, and, like, film scores. Yes. Oh, you God. just channel yes. your passion into, like, healthy and not manipulative. I don't know. I buy and, like, a lot of fabric that's probably not healthy. Well, as long as it doesn't have, like, asbestos in it, I think you're fine. Okay. I'll, take <laughs> I'll take it. I will take being passionate about fabric over... Apparently letting my passion turn me into a raging, horrible person. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, but he has a ton of different nicknames. Paul Castiano does. But I think the most popular is probably his name, Big Polly. Nice. Yes. Um, Very, was, like, mafia it <laughs> nickname. Was. Yeah. And he's in charge of the Gambino crime family. <laughs> um, born in Brooklyn. I'm, I'm going to get murdered for doing this. <laughs> it's not the 70s <laughs> it's just funny how like so like because like everything's a stereotype now but it's so funny like this kind of wasn't a stereotype it's just how things work yeah. well that's why <laughs> that's one of the reasons i picked this out is because this assassination is proof of like there was an entire world going on under oh my god yeah politics. we will definitely be doing episodes on uh, yeah. like yeah yeah mafia and mm-hmm. everything yeah it's so interesting the underworld of yeah freedom. yeah mm-hmm. So, born in Brooklyn with an Italian immigrant parents, he originally started out on the a different crime family. I believe, I'm going to botch this pronunciation. I think it's Mangano, Mangiano, probably Mangiano. Probably Mangiano. Um, crime family, which came before the Gambino family. So he was a, he's as a young kid he had a little bit of an of an education, but I don't think he went to high school. It sounds like he dropped out around that that cross between middle school and high school, like gotcha. around eighth grade. Yeah, and. His father ran a butcher shop, and he kind of helped run that, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not uncommon in a time period. And you don't, yeah, you don't no. go to school unless, yeah. if your family needs your help. Like, uh-huh, uh-huh. my 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 grandfather's sisters always missed the first two months of school because they had to help out on the farm. Yeah. She still graduated valedictorian of her class, so wow, don't good for Louise. her. Yeah. Um, but the butcher shop's also kind of a front for some not so legal trading and betting and it's weird because like 
it's early enough when you're still dealing with like Peaky Blinders esque like prohibition, <laughs> yeah. Roaring Twenties. Uh-huh. You know what's legal, what's not. Who can you pay off the cops to turn around and look the other way? Is really yeah. it's not necessarily legal and legal. It's how much money can you afford and can you get people to look the other way? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And he was in prison by the time he was 19 years old for a robbery. Um, he was caught, but he didn't give up any of his comrades or accomplices or anything. He was a no snitch. But not being a snitch meant that people higher up in the crime family were like, hey, hey, look at this kid. 19, took a bullet, didn't give up his friends, didn't mm. cave under the pressure. Like, hey, look at this guy. He ends up marrying his childhood sweetheart in 1937. Her name was Nina Mano. That's cute. Mm-hmm. They have four children together. And what makes me laugh is apparently he has a nephew, Richard S. Castiano, who is an actor in The Godfather. I find it super ironic. Okay, um, also The Godfather, I resisted for so long. It's actually really Fantastic good. Fantastic really movie. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I, I had to watch it for class, and I was like, this is gonna... Ugh. No, it's good. It's so good. It's really good. It's kind of like the falsettos. Now, I kind of did I ever think cheesy, any but... at any point in my life I would ever be attracted to Al Pacino? No. But you were. But I was yes. for those three hours, yes. and every other time I've watched The Godfather. And it was a three hours, wasn't it? <laughs> I was like... Uh, Okay. <laughs> like, I don't know what my brain's doing, but I like what it's doing. Something's happening here, and I uh, it's, it's not a direction I expected to go today. But yes, yeah. I, I digress. <laughs> yeah, but no, I agree. Yeah. Through the 40s and 50s, he's kind of moving up. He's, he's, he's starting to work with the top dogs up there. And then by 1957, there's a meeting in New York where he's high enough up in this kind of chain of command that he attends. The state police have a plan, though, and they kind of lure him in and capture him. And <laughs> there's over 60 of these high-ranking mobsters that get caught up in this kind of, what's the term for it? Um, sting opera. Not quite yeah, a sting like, operation. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know police terms, guys. I'm really sorry. Yeah, a sting yeah. would be good, I think. <laughs> okay, yeah. And they go to trial, but Castiano won't answer any questions and is held for, I think he gets like a year in prison for contempt because mm-hmm. he's so belligerent about it. <laughs> Um, and he gets a five-year <laughs> sentence later for conspiracy to withhold information. But mysteriously, as we said before, for people with money and connections, suddenly these charges just go bye-bye. I uh, wonder how that happens. Mm-hmm. I guess we'll never know. Mm-hmm. And the family is looking at this guy, at, at Castiano, pretty closely. Because if you've ever seen Peaky Blinders, they talk about how like they want to like make themselves a legitimate business because you want some legitimate business mixed in there with the illegal stuff because it's easier to cover. It makes you look better. It makes you more trustworthy. Yeah. You have some actual Mm -hmm. funds that aren't dirty and you can do deals with. And yeah, yeah. big Peaky Blinders vibes from all of this, (laughs) even though by this point we're 50 years removed, but um, no, 30. Anyways, but he was a good businessman, and he did start converting some of their not-so-legal dealings into legal dealings. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say he wasn't a hardened mob boss, because apparently he did have... He put a hit out on his daughter's boyfriend. Oh. Yeah, because, like, apparently the boyfriend compared him to, like, some other business mogul, and he didn't like it. And so he literally was just like, die. That's not a good reason to kill someone. Especially your daughter's boyfriend. She probably won't be forgiving you for that one. No, she probably... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In a surprising twist, though, 1976, Castiano's boss, he dies of natural causes. And there's this expected successor who is assumed, they assume he's going to take the place of this boss. But the Gambino family is like, hey, Castiano, 
the other guy, the second in command, who you thought, well, he's he's dealing with some other stuff. He's I think he was under investigation for something. Hmm. But basically, hey, Castiano, do you want to step up? Mm. And, I mean, yeah, he's he's got his hands on legitimate businesses. He's a good businessman. He Sounds knows like what he's doing. Fit. Yeah. He's a good fit. And the man that expected to get this job, the expected successor, was pretty pissed, even though he... He, like, Castiano promised him, like, hey, you can stay in the second command position. Mm-hmm. You'll still have a good a good gig here. It created a rift down the Gambino family and creates kind of these, like, warring sides to it. Gotcha. And as with people in power, Castiano, over time, goes from ordering hits and calling all the shots and being this big guy on the streets. And he becomes a little bit more of a recluse from the public. He's got this huge house with, like, an Olympic-sized swimming pool that looks I'd like a White House. He just wore, like, slippers and a robe, apparently, every day and starts <laughs> delegating stuff. But it would be hard not to be paranoid in this situation. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. So he's just kind of living the high life. And, of course, the government and FBI kind of have an eye on him, too. And it's just easier for him to just kind of dole out commands from his mansion. Mm-hmm. Remember that guy who didn't get promoted? <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. Here um, we go. He dies, uh, <laughs> he dies of cancer. Oh. Natural okay. causes in 1985. Never mind then. And Castiano doesn't show up to his wake. And that's Uh-oh. a huge no-no, apparently. That's like, I mean, when yeah, you're based like around manners and disrespect yeah. and everything, the family is like, what the f- bro you, you should yeah. be gone like mm. so they're pissed at castiano and in the wake of that death castiano promotes his own bodyguard who was not expected to take over and it pisses off even more people because this guy is not exactly a Bad diplomatic move, person bud. yeah so castiano and his new um bodyguard whose name is um I, oh, no. I swear I wrote it. Wait. Oh, no, you lost it. It starts with a B, and I can't find it in my notes because I like... Bambino. No, it was like Botoli or something like that. <laughs> I don't I'm know. really sorry, guys. I wrote it somewhere, but I got so off track with my notes that I just started talking and I lost it. But anyway, his second command and him, they have a meeting planned, and they're on their way to the Sparks Steakhouse in Midtown Manhattan near 3rd Avenue. And these people that are pissed about his bodyguard being promoted are like, yes, he's out of the house. We know where he'll be. Let's mm-hmm. plan it. A hit team is waiting next to the door with backup about a block away around the corner. And the man who ordered it is G-O-T-T-I. I would assume that's Gotti? Yeah. Gotti? Gotti? Gotti. Um, I don't know. He's responsible for planning this whole thing out. He's across the street in a car, just waiting and watching. Mm-hmm. Castiano gets out of the car, walks up to the restaurant, and is shot multiple times. Jeez. Which is what happens when you have a whole team go after one guy. I feel like yeah. it's not really a fair fight at all. No. This is, is a dirty assassination. Yeah. And John Carniglia is the one who does the headshot, who who officially ends Cassiano. And the bodyguard that he was with that was just promoted is also shot as he exits the car. And Gotti, who called the hit, drives over in his car, kind of checks to make sure they're all dead, and drives away. And okay. so this is like an unofficial hit almost. Mm. But I think it's like really interesting because it's a politically motivated thing for sure. Yeah. Um, but politics within an underground world that yeah, most gonna, people aren't. It's like it's like the Tupac thing. It's like yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We couldn't understand. It's all political, this stuff. but it's just not like the politics we know. And it's yeah. also like it, uh, at this time in America, it brought up these ideas of like, oh my gosh, you, no one is safe. Like yeah, your your mob boss isn't safe. You're like yeah. It, so yeah, that's that's that one. Interesting. That's, that's interesting really interesting. One. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I don't know much about, I mean, I know about The Godfather because, like I said earlier, I'm obsessed, but I don't know much about actual American gangs. It'll be interesting to learn about in the future. Um, so today, or not today, (laughs) Yes, we've been here for a while. (laughs) So now I'm going to do a man by the name of George Lincoln Rockwell. Do you know who this is, Kat? No, I don't. Well, you probably should. I feel like you're going to get into it. I'm going to be like, oh, yes, that that one. Maybe. Maybe. So George Lincoln Rockwell was born on March 9th, 1918 in Bloomington, Illinois. Rockwell would become the commander of the American Nazi Party. That's why I know the name. (laughs) I was like, Kat, you have to know. Yeah, no. For some reason, he said Rockwell. My brain went to Norman Rockwell. And I was like... It is, That's the only Rockwell it I know. Is. George Lincoln Rockwell, Norman Rockwell. It could be the same guy. Definitely, they could be brothers. Yeah. I definitely know who you're talking about now. Yeah. And I, my um, comparative genocide background just withered and died in shame. So, <laughs> yeah. yes, I do know who I was is. like, yeah, you should know. Um, I'm so, also, my dad just texted me, so I was a little distracted. Oh, it's I fine. I apologize. Uh, <laughs> Blame so, it on my dad. 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 Punk ass German. Whenever you- <laughs> Cat's father's not a Nazi. No, no, I'm just, my dad is German. And two weeks ago, Kaylee told me that I was a punk-ass German. <laughs> two weeks ago, I said Hitler was a punk-ass German. Oh, just and then you be, said I'm just also clear. across from a punk-ass German. Okay, sorry. <laughs> no, the definition of punk-ass German in, in my mind is getting a little confused. Same, but I would like to be known as punk-ass because I feel like I would be a badass, says the girl sitting here dressed like she's in the 1940s, but it's fine. Okay, I'll let you live out that fantasy in your brain while I, I do these I notes. I obviously can't handle being punk-ass in any other way, <laughs> so. Okay, so when I first started doing notes on this guy, I really didn't want to give it, go into his background because he is a Nazi and he doesn't deserve nope. people knowing about his background. No, However, doesn't. as I was reading up on him, his background was so crazy and he was on so many weird shit. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I have to talk about this. It's like Coco Chanel. Horrible person. Yeah. Huge Nazi. Yeah. And people are just like, they don't know it. And they're yeah. like, oh gosh, and now and I'm like, stop. I know. So, so to start off his weird background, uh, his parents were both vaudeville actors and comedians, which I thought was very interesting because it's not usually what you would expect it's of not conservative, prim and proper. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're off to a weird start. So yeah. <laughs> in 1938, he, okay, well, first of all, he, he applies to and gets rejected from Harvard. So like, <laughs> nice. And Hitler got rejected for art school. Guys, this is why public, why <laughs> no. education should be more accessible. So yeah, but then in 1938, he attends Brown and then he drops out of Brown to join the Navy. He served in several battles, battles through World War II, which again, why would you be a Nazi if you literally fought yeah. World War II? It's another great look. Um, and he married his wife in 1943. And apparently he hated his in-laws. <laughs> okay. And guess why he hated his in-laws, Kat? I'm going to take one big fat guess. They were Jews. No. Oh. He hated his in-laws for not raising his wife to be docile oh, what the and fuck? compliant. That's why he hated his in-laws. Okay, if this was so important to you... Why did you marry her? Why, George? Why did you marry her, George? Uh, George. What, what Come on, George. That's so dumb. Um, and of course, because he's a Nazi, um, he, he, there was abuse happening in the house. 
and uh, the mm-hmm. wife was reportedly struck at least once, so that ha- means it happened probably He's a lot really more. really every box on reasons to go to H-E double <laughs> Yes. I dropped um, the F word a minute ago, but I'm like, apparently against saying hell. <laughs> <laughs> <I know. laughs> uh, anyway. We try to censor ourselves. It does not work. Sometimes when I talk about Nazis, it goes out the window. I guys. feel like that's fair. Yeah. Um... So, he was abusive to his family. Big surprise. Mm. Classic Nazi stuff. After the war, guess where he went? Apparently, I'm not doing so great on my guessing today, so you just tell me. Art school. Oh, come on, guys. <laughs> Be more original. I know. Um, uh, yeah, he went to art school, and apparently, he was actually really good at it. So, n- not Hitler 2.0, but also maybe... Like evolved Hitler, yeah. <laughs> better at heart, art Hitler, <laughs> and he won some sort of prize. But then he like dropped out before he could finish art the, like program to start an advertising agency. I'm like, what are you doing? Mad men, but Nazis. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I just was reading this Wikipedia article because it's like the only thing, place that has like a actual biography on him. I was like, what is happening? So then he got called back to duty uh, for the Korean War, and during the Korean War, he was promoted to, um, like, a upper level of the army, so he was placed, he was assigned to Iceland, and his family couldn't come with him at the time, so that means his wife sent divorce papers over. Heck yeah, girl. <laughs> so don't blame him. And he actually would remarry um, a woman from Iceland who was the niece of the Icelandic U.S. ambassador. Uh, and he would have another three children with her. But her father found out that Rockwell was a literal Nazi. And he went to the U.S. to bring her back in 1957. And she divorced him and remarried. Yeah, I'm a little <laughs> worried about how she didn't see that one as a problem yes. before her dad did. But... Yes. Her dad literally was like, oh, this guy is like the most outspoken racist in the country. I'm going to get my daughter. I guess there's like nothing. I mean, it's probably an abusive relationship but like yeah well that's the thing i can't fault women in you cannot yeah fault no women you can't relationships it is yeah so so manipulative yes yeah um so in 1955 rockwell launched a magazine called the u.s lady i do remember this one um and it is a magazine for the wives of the men and armed forces uh again why i'm getting big trad wife vibes what oh trad this guy like start he like originated the all right pipeline he like laid the groundwork he really did and i'm getting incel vibes but oh for sure um and uh he was very outspoken about his political views in this magazine but apparently he had a passion for publishing also i just realized that i'm i'm i want y'all to know i'm not I'm not trashing traditional wives. If that is what you want and you are in a consensus yeah. agreement about it, that is great. Like, you do But there's you. a difference between... Being forced into that and, yeah. and, like... Well, there's a difference between being a trad wife in, like, a white supremacist sense. Yeah. And then, and like, then just wanting to be, like, a stay-at-home yeah. mom. Big yeah. difference. And Big I, difference. I, I intend... I hope you understand I'm making that differentiation because I'm a feminist. Yes. And feminist is women being able to do whatever they want, whether it be in work, yes. whether it be at the home. Yes. Or somewhere in between. Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Just want to make that disclaimer, sure. guys. Yes. When I say trad wife, I'm talking yeah. about neo-Nazi. Neo-Nazi, traditional, like, it, there's a whole thing. Look up, look up, like, trad wife. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're going to find a yeah, world you did when it yeah. wasn't real. Mm-hmm. So, also in 1955, he moved to Washington, and this is where he really began his radicalization. Mm. Um, apparently, he had, a, like, a series of dreams 
where he like met Hitler at the end of them. Don't trust your dreams. Guys. I didn't know what that was about. Don't I was like, why do we know about his them. dreams? <laughs> Again, this was Wikipedia. So, you know, it's, it's Wikipedia, but there was really hard to find like real sources on him. Yeah. I mean, Wikipedia is a great source, but it's, it's a grain of salt. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, through, he kind of met and befriended a series of increasingly Nazi-like individuals, and he went down the alt-right pipeline, much like America's 13-year-olds right now on YouTube. (laughs) Seamless, Kaylee, seamless. In 1958, he, along with one of his Nazi buddies, formed the National Committee to Free America from Jewish Domination, which sounds a little QAnon-y. Um, that sounds very cute. <laughs> yeah. In 1959, he formed the World Union of Free Enterprise National Socialists, the WUFENS. Later that same year, this was renamed the American Nazi Party. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which I'm like, why would you even bother? Why'd you even try to take that gap? <laughs> it was like, literally like six were. months later. Literally everyone knew. No hiding it. It literally has National Socialists in it. Like, that's a Nazi. (laughs) And that's still the same time when National Socialists would have invoked the thoughts of the National Nazi Party. Yeah. Oh, people knew what it meant. It's like 1959. Yeah. So in 1960, he was discharged by the Navy, one year short of retirement benefits because of his activities, which is awesome. Yes. And uh, he, there was, so basically everything you think a Nazi could do in the 1960s. He did. He drew swastikas everywhere. He led anti-protest or like uh, anti-civil rights protests everywhere. Imagine he... having to own up that you ran anti-civil rights. <laughs> well, I don't think he cares. I think he's pretty proud of himself. That's true. He was. Yeah. Um, and it, some of the examples of what he did is he uh, one big, well, two examples. So I think this is he might have like been one of the first people to kind of popularize the term white power as a reaction to the phrase black power at the time so that's not great um i almost just said something i should not say on this podcast because it's too inflammatory okay well let's let's not do that um and he uh, also started a record label to draw attention to the nazi movement that he was trying to start in america uh, again weird guy and then he also so when the freedom riders were kind of launching their campaign down south and if you don't know what the freedom riders are they're the people who like boarded buses in the north yeah. and like drove yeah, down yeah, south yeah. yeah i'm telling for the people Kat. oh yes sorry you made direct eye contact no, with me I'm and i'm looking I was like, at Catherine. <laughs> we're always making direct eye contact but that's when i felt it in my soul yeah if you don't know cat i know you know what the freedom riders are i'm still but for those of us who don't I'm the freedom so riders were people from the north they also talk about this in madman um uh who kind of went down south to help political uh, civil rights movements down south um because people in like places like alabama needed the help sorry i was still stewing on the term <laughs> white power and its current relations to other political yeah calls. yes um so just know if you say white power you're i mean you're a racist you're a racist one if you say it seriously if you say it jokingly just know that you're quoting a nazi so yeah i don't know what else you thought you were quoting i don't know what else you thought really you were quoting either yeah. <laughs> Hopefully no one who says white power jokingly or serious listens to us. But I think they would have quit by now. They would have given out on like episode two. Yeah. You literally talked about Episode one. Episode one. What are you talking about, Kat? Anyway, so during the Freedom Writing campaign, 
Rockwell got a Volkswagen bus, which was, this is just a besmirchment to the name of Volkswagen buses, because as Kat <laughs> is well aware, that is my dream vehicle. Yes. I would do a lot of things to secure myself a Volkswagen bus. But of course, this punk ass Nazi yeah. got a Volkswagen bus, which Call should have out. been mine. And he, quote, uh, he named it, quote, the hate bus and covered it in white supremacist slogans. And drove it down south. Just go drive around and be an ass. Um, yeah. So, like, what the, What are you doing, dude? Um, he was also interviewed in Playboy in 1966. You know, I would be surprised if I didn't know what I knew about um, our yeah. man. Um, he, no. Hugh Hefner? Hugh Hefner. Yes. But, like, also Playboy? Who's, like, oh, yeah, like, some naked ladies and then, like, an interview with a Nazi. Like, what do you... What? <laughs> Again, alt-right pipeline. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they didn't have YouTube back then. I had to get it somewhere. Um, so, yeah. And apparently he spent all his time in this interview talking about uh, how he didn't believe the Holocaust happened. <laughs> Classic Nazi stuff. Um, <laughs> Classic. Good news is, though, he, did, he was killed. Um, and I wanted to include his assassination because it was an example of someone who deserved to die dying (laughs) so on august 27th 1967 rockwell goes to do his laundry at a laundromat he then realizes that he forgot his bleach and he climbs back into his truck where he is shot two times and he dies like on the spot um and rockwell had apparently feared his enemies which were every decent person in america but he feared that they would could target him and come from him but it was actually his own protege that would kill him we don't really know why but his own like assistant if you're messing with nazi power dynamics then you're <laughs> gonna get murdered by your assistant your power that's fair assistant. that's fair so yeah so that was that guy i had never heard of him before so it was really interesting to look into him he had a weird life um yeah uh, I think it's Kat. It's your time for your final one. My final one. It's the fine. I've got to stop singing. These quotes are going to get us actually copyrighted. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> We're not doing it on purpose. No, <laughs> I, I literally do this in my everyday conversation. I probably annoy the living daylights out of Kaylee and my friends because they're used to me just breaking into song every five minutes. Have you ever That's seen fine. Parks and Rec? Uh, she's pulling a John Raffio. <laughs> I have a weird mix no, of John with cash. <laughs> I really do it a lot. I oh, do. it's so fun. I don't know why you wouldn't. I do it too. I feel so. like I have a mix of Leslie Nope and John Ralphie is Everstein. I feel like that's really accurate. It is. Oh my god. Wow. No, I didn't wow, for Catherine. I do. Okay. Great. <laughs> You're a mix of April and Andy. Thanks. Yeah. I already knew that though. I know. <laughs> and then you knew. Okay. So my last but definitely not least is Harvey Milk. Do you know this one, Kaylee? I know of Harvey Milk. I don't know a lot about Harvey okay. Milk. Yes. Okay. So Harvey Bernard Milk is not our only hate crime motivated assassination here, but he's the only one on the list so far that I know about being part of the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, and he was born on May 22nd. Oh, another May. There's another May. I swear, dude. What is this about? Ooh. And I think May 22nd is technically Gemini. <laughs> Wow. There's that, like four Geminis in this list of ten people. That's that's a little that is a little sketch. That's yeah. If someone so funny. if someone is astrology. That's like really the serial well, killers always being Geminis too. Let me tell you, Gemini really, men Gemini men are I'm just, yeah. I, I need someone who's like certified astrologist to come like 
to tweet at us and let us know if this is a thing. Yeah, so, please, please. I'm interested now. Yeah. Um, so he was born in 1930 in New York City. He attended New York State College for Teachers in Albany, where he majored in mathematics from 1947 to 1951. Throughout most of this process, he was not, most of his early life, he was not open about his sexuality. Um, but the Korean War comes around. Harvey Milk joins the U.S. Navy aboard a submarine rescue ship. He's a diving officer, which he, eventually he's transferred to San Diego as a diving instructor. He ends up, so he kind of bounces a little bit um, from place to place. He ends up teaching high school back in Long Island. He meets a man named Joe Campbell, who is a few years younger than Milk. But they move together. Um, and if, by all accounts, it looks like Milk really falls head over heels for this guy. He really likes him. Mm-hmm. They decide to move back to Dallas, Texas. And I I don't know why they didn't stay. I It's hard not to consider the fact that they would have been part of the LGBTQIA plus community in Texas. It's, yeah. it's bad enough as it is now. It yeah. would have been even worse back then. So, yeah, I can't believe I'm for that one. Yeah. I don't know if that's the reason or if I'm being biased, but um, they end up moving back to New York, and Milk starts working at an insurance firm. So... After a few years, though, Campbell and Milk break up. This was, I believe, Milk's longest relationship. Mm-hmm. But this seems to be um, really rough on him, as, as it is when you're really, really in love with someone. And for, so for the next few years, for the rest of his life, really, his relationships are pretty private. He's um, with a man named Craig Rodwell for a while, Jack McKinley. And I don't want... I don't want to think that I'm talking about this, like, his previous dating history or his sexual history. Like, that's what defines him. I just think that it is an important part of his story because he was not vocal uh, about any yeah. of these issues mm-hmm. during this time when he was living, when he was dating men. And yeah. he, he would not become vocal until later in his life. And that actually, a lot of people didn't find him credible because of that. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Milk eventually becomes a researcher for Wall Street after his relationship with McKinley ended. He decides to stay in San Francisco, where they had both moved to. He gets a, he gets fired from his job for some stupid reason. I think, like, the way he dressed or something ridiculous. And he starts to jump around places, California, Texas, New York again. He does some theater stuff. He loses some of the conservative edge that he previously had, and he meets a man named Scott Smith, who he moved back to San Francisco with. And they use their last... Their cash to open a camera shop. Oh, yeah, it's it's. it's, it's I want to open a camera shop with someone, right? <laughs> Sounds sweet. In San Francisco, I know, right? Well, and it's San Francisco. Apparently, was a port city where it had one of the it had like the largest LGBTQIA community there. So it was kind of like a haven for a lot of people. But there's still a ton of pushback and purposeful targeting of gay people there by the yeah. police and government. And one of the mayors even asked, like, the old mayor even asked the police to target some of these areas so that he could appeal to his Catholic supporters and, you know, gotcha. his conservative people. <sighs> um, but this is also problematic because if you get caught for, like, sexual conduct issues, you also have to, re- have to register as a sexual, yeah. uh, as an offender. Mm-hmm. And that hugely limits, even if it's something as stupid as, like, kissing or something like that. I don't yeah. know if kissing same-sex kissing was illegal at this time, but, like, really minor infractions that they would have walked right by for anyone else. They're purposefully giving a maximum sentence, which we've seen this recently in our news, and it's 
we should be paying attention to it. But <laughs> Milk is finally seeing how effed up this all is and how much the system is stacked against them. And he becomes interested in invested in political and civic matters. And he said, quote, I finally reached the point where I knew I had to become involved or shut up, end quote. There were other well. politicians within that community that because he wasn't vocal or active or even op- like willing to be honest about his relationships early on, that they're mm-hmm. like, no, we don't. Who is this new guy on the field? Mm. He hasn't done his work. He hasn't paid his dues. He hasn't gone through what we've had to go through. So it's a mixed bag of reception for Milk stepping onto the scene. Um, through a lot of smaller movements and efforts, though, people start to know his name. He helps organize, like, grassroots stuff throughout the neighborhood, supporting or like LGBTQIA businesses versus supporting those who actively discriminate and stuff like that. But it's not all good. There's um, a man named Oliver Sipple, and when Gerald Ford was visiting San Francisco and someone tries to shoot him, Oliver Sipple, who was a Marine, I believe, tried to stop them. He does successfully stop them, and and he tries to stay out of the media and stay private because he's like, Oliver Sipple's just like, I'm gay. I don't want anyone to know that. I yeah. I pro- but Milk sees this as the... Milk knows him through ex-boyfriends or something. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, trying to tell him, like, this is the great time to come out as gay because people will be like, gay people can be heroes. Gay people are important to the community and you just yeah. saved the president. He outs him without his permission. Oh, no. And he loses, so like, his family won't talk Ugh. to him anymore. So Milk yeah, you can't also do that. did a lot of stuff that was questionable. Yeah, um, a lot of historical figures. Too. They do. Yeah. Um, but I felt like that was one worth noting yeah. because no, that's I don't important. know if at the time that was as big of a deal, but, like, it was very much a violation of privacy. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of showed that Milk was willing to do things for the betterment, kind of regardless of what other people always wanted for themselves. Yeah. Um, but he does some odd jobs here and there. He ends up running for the San, San Francisco Board of Supervisors. And he's got a name that people start to realize. And he's really close to winning, but he barely loses. But now he's seen as a figurehead for a lot of the LGBTQIA plus community. And the mayor appoints him as the city's board of permit appeals. And he ends up being one of the first, actually the first openly gay city commissioner in the U.S. Wow. He tries to move on to state assembly, but kind of lost that race again. And he starts promoting anti-discrimination bills and tries to reform the legal system. And he does all this stuff until finally he wins and settles into the San Francisco Board of Supervisors. He achieves it. He does it. And... On November 27th, 1978, there's a former city supervisor named Dan White who gets into the city hall by sneaking through a basement window. Guess he, I guess he finagles security, slips through metal detectors, stuff. I don't know what they had in place in this time period as precautions. Mm-hmm. But he gets to the mayor of Moscone's office because this mayor was a supporter of Milk. He appointed him where he could. He gets into the mayor's office and he shoots the mayor. He then walks across the hall and kills milk and what's almost worse is that milk expected this he had so many threats and so much hatred aimed at him that he he wrote out stuff that was like in when Mm. i am assassinated in the event that i'm assassinated like he yeah he knew what he was facing Mm -hmm. um and it created a huge rallying cry. Like, people started coming out left and right on the day he was assassinated. I think one of his nephews or something, or one of his yeah. distant family members did too. Um, but what's disgusting to me is that Dan White, who killed him, got less than eight years in prison. For murder? For murder. Of Yeah. For murder. 
And what's even like they it's now famously called the Twinkie defense because his, his attorney claimed that White had eaten so much junk food that he shouldn't be held accountable for his crimes that day. What? And it 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 stood. Oh my god. What? And this is one of the most blatant like discriminatory discriminatory things i've ever seen oh my god and it's it's so bad and the public can understand how biased and effed up this is it sparks the white knight riots um dozens of city uh, of um citizens storm city hall they set police cars on fire there's property damage um but i don't want that to seem like that was the total response there was a huge peaceful response from the community coming together in memoriam for him and his legacy and I, the large, the large reaction was support, and they have a martyr, and it's like MLK. Like, what? How much faster did that bring yeah, on some true. change versus how? But you know, you never. It's never a good thing when someone dies. Like you, you never want that to be at the expense of someone's yeah. life. But it leaves a lot of questions, and I chose that one too because you know you think of MLK with his being a civil rights martyr, you don't necessarily think of like. Harvey Milk and a lot of yeah, these people that's true. who cause yeah. I, I find that especially recently a lot of LGBTQIA assassination type politically motivated things are mass shootings Pulse yes. nightclub <laughs> like all that other stuff because Ugh. which is awful uh, because you don't have an individual face yeah. to pick out like you do for MLK yeah also I just want to say I did not laugh at that I laughed because I'm extremely uncomfortable and I hate it a lot and it's a nervous laughter Uh yeah, but you're totally right. Yeah. And uh, that was really interesting. I've never, I mean, like I said, I've heard of Harvey Milk. I knew kind of his role there, but I, I didn't know all of the other things. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's on you. Your yeah. last one. Here we go. My last one. And um, this is where I'm really uh, stretching what can be considered an assassination. In fact, I probably wouldn't consider it an assassination, but I thought it was something worthy of note and it involves um someone killing something else someone else and um it's a really short story because this individual was 23 when she died but um i think it's worthy of talking about especially because we're both from texas and we all know about selena (laughs) she would have been 50 about a week or so ago yep so a a week from now on april 16th so selena quintanilla something like that um i'm sorry i didn't write her last name now everyone just knows her Selena, Selena. yeah, (laughs) Um, was born April 16th, 1971 in Lake Jackson, Texas. Her father was a former musician and he managed and produced the family's music group, Selena y los Dinos. Uh, Selena began performing as a child and became the lead singer of her family band at 10. Uh, They played mostly at weddings and clubs around Texas. Her brother played the bass and her sister played the drums. So it was like a family family act i mean normally family bands they go like "Mm -hmm," but like that one actually sounds pretty cool yeah um she got really famous really popular specifically on the spanish music charts um she was not taught spanish uh she was not raised speaking spanish but she was taught speaking spanish when she was Mm -hmm. younger to be able to sing in both english and spanish and most of her fame came from her spanish tracks um and she was known as the queen of tejano uh which is like a blend of Texas and Mexican sounds, mm-hmm. sounds and stuff like that. And 
Uh, she was, like I said, really popular in the Spanish music charts. She won several awards, including a Grammy in 1993. Um, mm-hmm. In 1992, she met or she married her husband, Chris Perez. And uh, Chris and her actually met and secretly started dating in 1990 when Chris joined the band as their guitar player. Yes, I remember hearing yes. a very scandalous yes. story. Yes. Um, and... Selena was incredibly talented. She definitely was like young pop star energy. And right at the time of her death, she was actually in the process of writing her first English album and was hoping to break more into the U.S. charts mm-hmm. as she had started to. And she would have been a huge name here. And I really believe that. And um, But unfortunately, on March 31st, 1995, at the age of 23, she was shot and killed by Yolanda Saldivar. The founder of the Selena, founder and president of the Selena fan club. Saldivar lured uh, Selena to a hotel under the the this kind of ruse of talking about um, some money embezzling or something like that, <sighs> um, and killed her. And it's unclear it, why. If it was like a passion thing, they briefly like friends. Before they were like Selena friends, that and she was kind of like a little obsessed. Little obsessed, and yeah, it was just. Are they at least ta- like knew each other on a more than friendly basis? Yes, I, thought, I think for a little while. Yes, I think it was it was that. And if you watch the movie with J Lo, who plays Selena, um, like everyone in Texas has, yeah. <laughs> um, they do a better job kind of explaining this. I mean, I don't know how much of it is traumatized, but um, that's what I'm wary of taking. That yeah, I don't, off, I don't but... want to like take it for a fact, but there was some sort of tension there, and Yolanda kills Selena and the age of 23 and Saldivar fortunately was sentenced to life in prison um in October of 1995 she's still in prison and is actually up for parole in 2025 so let's make sure she doesn't get out of prison people I think if she got out of prison she'd need to hire hire a personal bodyguard there's no way yeah people people will not her yeah because Selena, and this is my next point she's such an iconic figure she destroyed a whole she was so beloved yeah by like hispanic people by texans by america like she was like iconic and <sighs> now she's she's dead it's very sad yeah uh, yeah yeah and she's, at 23 she's the too. youngest one we've got on our list yes then. yeah and it's just so upsetting i mean kat you've talked a lot about getting to see what they would have done after they died and yeah. in a lot of cases like yeah. maybe they did already all that they were going to mm-hmm. she was just starting she is one of and those that's that you, so disheartening. you just know, like, yeah. there's no, her trajectory to stardom, like, that curve was, it physically could not have stopped. Yeah. She would have been. Yeah, she would have been famous. And she, I mean, you t- we were talking about John Lennon, like, who's to say she, branching both markets. Yeah. She would have been unstoppable. Oh, for sure. And I mean, it's International about, pop star. I was about, and it's not even about necessarily that. My sister listens to her, listens to her, like, Spanish Oh, yeah, people still like, listen to Selena, still, yeah. Yeah, like, there's. Like, her songs are iconic. <laughs> the language barrier isn't yeah. even a whole part of it. Uh-huh. And even the influence she has over English-speaking music and stuff. Yeah. Like, she would have been incredible yeah yeah well i mean we've yes we've on some, we, we'd... sorry to leave you on such a i, I should have left on the nazi one because he deserved to die <laughs> <laughs> i know we left you on the really sad forlorn yeah. like someone closer to our oh gosh she was our age 23 my age You're i'm sh- turning 23 20. in june yeah wow you already turned 24 this year 
old lady. I know. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. I feel well. I think this was. I, I want to say fun. Well, yeah, I kind of like the format of going yeah. back and forth and having something more than just one story. I know we hit y'all with a lot of information. Yes. And it's almost and a lot, unfair. And some of it very fast. <laughs> yeah, we, it's almost unfair to pack some of these people's lives into that short of a time. But we will be going back and doing some of them. So. Definitely. Definitely we will. Um, I think but we Conspiracy Day. We can talk about JFK. Conspiracy and... Day. Why didn't we think of that? Write it down. For this episode. Write it down. I will. Well, we had to do something with a number 10. Yeah, but we could have done 10 conspiracies. Each conspiracy is like a 30-minute conversation, though. Okay, like, that's fair. We, we could not have done 10 <laughs> conspiracies this time. Um, but yeah. yeah, we would love to hear your feedback, uh, your suggestions. If you think of a re- really cool theme we should do. Um, yeah, we're going to need one for 20. We will not be doing 20-somethings no. in one episode. We'll be, but like, maybe we could do 10 again. Something in 1920 or something yeah. that like included 20 young children. For the 20th episode, we have to talk about the 20s. Okay, okay, yeah. Yeah. Yep. If you made it this far in the episode, uh, look forward to that. Ten episodes from now. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to forget. Katie's going to write it down. Yep, I'm writing it down, and don't let me forget to write it down. But yeah, like Kat said, if you would like to reach out and talk to us, you can reach us on t- Twitter at T-I-N-A-H-L podcast. Um, and we'd love to hear from you. Kat does a great job over there. And like she said oh. earlier, she tweets out hints. So if you're ever just itching for more content and need to know what we're doing next. Yes. Uh, that's a place to reach us. You can also email us at this is not a history lecture at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you there. Yes. Thoughts, questions, opinions, deep thoughts. I already said thoughts twice, but it's okay. <laughs> Who you'd like to see us do? Any ideas for themes or anything like that? Um, and yeah, if you don't have anything else, Kat, I think this is not a history lecture. lecture. Bye. Bye.